Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Truth About Trucking, live, hosted by Alan Smith, a 30-year OTR veteran, business entrepreneur, and motor carrier transportation consultant, specializing in assisting students and new drivers, and pushing forward to raise the standards of the trucking industry. And now, live from beautiful Citrus County, Florida, here's your host, Alan Smith. Welcome to the show, everyone. Glad you could join us. Today is Thursday, September 30th, 2010, and October comes tomorrow. Can you believe it? Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then New Year's, 2011. So the holidays are coming, and time's flying by, and it goes even faster the older you get. So I just can't believe it. I'll have to pull those Christmas decorations out soon, and it seems like I just put them away. And before you know it, 2012 will be here, and we all know that this is a year that the world will end, but I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction that 2012 will also come and go, and we will all be just fine. So we have a great show for you this evening where we welcome your calls and invite you to come and be a part of our program. Our call-in number is 347-826-9170, and our show this evening insulin diabetes and the commercial truck driver and we're going to be talking about a whole lot of stuff the dot medical examination qualifications for vision hearing we'll talk about sleep apnea blood pressure those things that can disqualify you from operating a commercial motor vehicle and of course we'll be going over what the fmcsa says about drivers who have diabetes and insulin controlled diabetes and exactly what the diabetes medical waiver is all about so just a uh, ton of information to get through this program, and I'm not the one that's going to be doing it. I can tell you that for sure, because I'm going to leave that up to our expert guest. Dr. Randolph Rosarian is a 17-year practicing physician and veteran DOT medical examiner, and his website is dotmedicalexaminer.com, and his practice is located in Elmhurst, New York, only about what, eight or nine miles from the hustle and bustle of New York City, and he performs over 700 DOT medical exams every year, and he is the expert that will explain all of this and is ready to take your calls when we can get to them. 347-826-9170 is, again, our number. And Dr. Rosarian is coming up next for insulin diabetes and the commercial truck driver right here on Truth About Trucking Live. Don't go anywhere. It's going to be a great show. The trucker lifestyle isn't an easy one, and those of you listening will testify to that. Because of the sedentary lifestyle, one of the major problems causing drivers to be at greater health risk is obesity. I'm Alan Smith with Truth About Trucking Live, and recently there's been concern for the professional CDL driver and their ability to pass the DOT physical. No doubt you've been hearing terms such as BMI index, sleep apnea testing, and CPAP machines. The bottom line to all of this, however, is that drivers may lose their jobs because they're overweight. 
Most of these drivers, by paying attention to their diet and calorie intake, along with some exercise, can take care of their weight problem. But many others, however, are 100 pounds or more overweight and the problem seems overwhelming to them. These drivers are now researching other alternatives such as gastric sleeve surgery, which would limit their intake of large quantities of food. The cost of gastric surgeries in the U.S. are between $18,000 and $35,000 and not all insurance will cover these costs. We've discovered that one of the most recognized, respected, and affordable facilities who perform this kind of surgery with a total cost of $9,500 is located in Mexicali, Mexico, only 22 miles south of El Centro, California. Dr. Alberto Aceves has performed thousands of surgeries and is rated among one of the highest success rates anywhere, including the U.S. Dr. Aceves has impeccable credentials, including member of the American Society for Bariatric and Metabolic Surgery, member of the International Federation for the Surgery of Obesity, and member of FACS, the American College of Surgeons. If you're overweight and you're contemplating gastric sleeve surgery as a possible solution, either because you're concerned about your job or you just want to feel good about yourself or do things you haven't done in years, then I encourage you to give Dr. Alberto Aceves and his staff a call. They have an extremely knowledgeable, personable, and professional staff and will tell you if you're a candidate for this type of procedure. They'll answer your questions and concerns, and if you're not a candidate, they'll tell you, guiding you in another direction. You can contact them toll-free at 888-344-3916 or at their website, MexicaliBariatricCenter.com. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Dr. Randolph Rosarian of DOTMedicalExaminer.com, our special guest. And Dr. Rosarian, welcome to the program. Hi, Alan. Thanks for inviting me. Well, that's good. Well, you know, you have impeccable credentials as well, and, uh, I mean, 700 DOT exams per year. You're staying pretty busy up there in New York. I'm trying, you know. (laughs) Well, you know, when we first spoke, um, I mentioned to you that, you know, I felt that, you know, there's still a lot of confusion among drivers about this diabetes issue and operating the CMV and, and maybe some confusion among examiners, too. I mean, before, before we get into all the diabetes and the medical waiver, we're just going to talk some, some about just the exam itself. And you had mentioned to me that, uh, uh, you, that even the uh, National Registry of Certified Medical Examiners is going to be uh, addressing this issue of, you know, this confusion and stuff. Where, where is this confusion, for a lack of a better term, where, where is this coming from, you think? Well, you know, it's a matter of, um, I guess, uh, being informed and doing the research, uh, which is available to everybody online, including the doctors, to to really understand what you know what the FMCSA regulations and standards are. Uh, I mean, what we have is the handbook, which is online. Um, I have to tell you, I get calls all the time from uh, physicians who are confused about about certain you know standards or or regulations, something like blood pressure uh, that's a certain range or uh, how long to certify a person for. And, you know, that's understandable because unlike, let's say, the FAA, for example, the Federal Aviation Administration, there's not a standardized testing, uh, you know, method implemented yet for the FMCSA. And so, uh, 
you know, that's something to really look forward to because that way we all will have, you know, we all are, you know, are going to be doctors and physicians or examiners that, that know how to examine people, but we all have to know how to do it uh, based on what the FMCSA expects, you know, from us because it's a very regulated industry, the trucking industry, as you know, and um, things have to be done a certain way, and doctors just need to be more informed and, you know, knowledgeable about it, and uh, NRCME will certainly uh, address that and, um, and and certify the physicians that do take a, an examination and, and pass it and will be assigned a, a, a number. Uh, just like we have a license number to practice medicine, we'll have a number as a you know, certified federal medical examiner. So that's something to look forward to. I think it will just improve the whole status of you know, um, DOT medical examination. Okay, and uh, uh, I'm hearing something on the line. Donna, are you on the line with us? Yes, I am. Okay, I don't know if that's the the phone or not, but uh, are you hearing okay, some static? Uh, some kind of little click and noise, but uh, oh. you know who? Maybe it's the who, reception. I'm actually on the office phone, so shouldn't be bad. Let me see. No, Hold no. on. Okay, no, yeah, we can hear you fine. I'm just hearing some kind of click and noise. Um, uh, been having trouble with my audio here lately, anyway. But so I mean, there Is are standards. Better? Uh, yeah, we can hear you fine. Okay. I mean, so there are standards and guidelines right now with the FMCSA as far as DOT exams go. You're just saying that that's going to become uh, uh, more outlined then. No, it's a lot of it is very well outlined. It's a matter of uh, um, just like, you know, doctors have to take, you know, certain courses that are very similar to meet a certain, you know, criteria to be called, you know, a physician or a certain specialist, and take a board exam. This will be something of that of that nature. And part of the confusion is that sometimes the, the truckers will take the form, the you know, the medical examination form to their primary care doctor, and he may have never done any of these exams before. You know, and he'll right. fill it out just to you know to please his patient or, or what have you, but he may not be familiar at all with the regulations. So. There's a lack of uh, consistency in the training of people that do these examinations that the NRCME will address, is what I mean. Okay. So we always have the same basic training and, to, to, you know, something, a standard, to, so to speak, to, to work from and so that we all know the same thing, so to speak. Can I ask a question that I just thought? Sure. Um, okay. Hi. Uh, this is Donna. Hi. Um, I just want to ask you then, so as it stands right now, your regular physician can fill out the DOT medical form and it's acceptable and you're saying that's going to change? Uh, what's acceptable right now, because, you know, there is no law that has been passed yet. The NRCME is not, uh, in, in terms of the certification examination, that's not in effect yet. As it stands right now, MDs, DOs, uh, chiropractic physicians, uh, registered uh, certified nurse practitioners, and registered physician assistants can can do these examinations. Uh, you know, of course, they have to look at their own state to see what kind of regulations their state has in regards to them doing the exam. But certainly, MDs, DOs uh, can do it. And but. In the group of examiners, there's also the the other uh, examiners that I mentioned, the chiropractors, the nurse practitioners, as well as the physician assistants. 
Okay, so right now they can do that, and you're saying in sure. the future that no, um, everyone will take the same examination. Okay, uh, nurses, uh, physician assistants, chiropractors, medical doctors will all take the same examination, um, and that's something that everyone will be able to take. And once they get certified, they all can perform, continue to perform these examinations. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay, well, one thing Dr. E had mentioned to me was, uh, and I think this is where some of the confusion comes from, uh, uh, from among drivers and such, uh, and we've been, we've been bombarded with questions for you. I've printed some of them out here and everything, but, um, I mean, you can find one driver driving with uh, uh, diabetes and another driver being refused, not getting into the type 1, type 2, and all that just yet, but you had mentioned that there's two type of standards used by the FMCSA, non-discretionary and discretionary. That's correct. And those are very important distinctions to, to be made and that um, you know, the examiners have to be uh, quite aware of. Uh, the non-discretionary, there, there are basically four of them, and those are the ones that, that specifically say that the examiner must uh, use these objective qualifiers that are established by the FMCSA to make his uh, judgment. And he has no laterality, meaning he cannot use his own clinical judgment to deviate from, from those uh, non-discretionary um, standards. And they're basically the ones that we, I mentioned to you in the, in the email. They are you know, history of epilepsy, um, someone who, had, who does not meet the vision standards, the hearing standards, and, of course, insulin-treated diabetes mellitus. Two out of four of these standards, uh, being the vision and insulin-treated diabetes, have an exemption program uh, whereby a driver can apply if he's found to be qualified, other than not meeting those standards, to see if he can become qualified eventually. So those, those are the exemptions that exist. Uh, right now for vision and insulin-treated diabetes, diabetes mellitus. Okay, so if you have a if you have a history of epilepsy or you uh, can't meet the minimum standards for hearing, uh, no bypassing that, you're just not able to get a CDL. Is that what you're saying? Well, epilepsy is defined basically as having two or more unprovoked seizures. So yes, you know you cannot. Uh, be certified uh, you know, uh, you know, through the examination if you have epilepsy. But if you have a seizure, uh, which is one, a single unprovoked seizure, and you're off medications, anticonvulsants, for you know, at least five years, you may be qualified. So every problem has its own standards. Uh, uh, for the vision, um, there's a basic visual acuity that you and uh, a peripheral field of vision as well as color vision that you're supposed to qualify for. For vision, uh, the minimum is 20/40 in each eye with or without corrective lenses. Uh, if if a driver cannot see 20/40, uh, he can get glasses. I mean, he says with or without corrective lenses, and if he can see at least 20/40, he's fine. Um, for the color vision, you. You're supposed to see the standard red, green, and amber. As long as you can see that, then that's fine. So uh, as far as the hearing, uh, if they cannot uh, meet the minimum standards, uh, they can get a hearing aid. And, and if they can meet it with the hearing aid, then they're fine. So so those are okay. like um, 
basically uh, certain uh, criteria that the FSCA requires at minimum that someone has before they can go forward. Now, apart from these four uh, non-discretionary standards, there are nine other discretionary standards uh, which involves everything else you can think about, every other medical system and, and condition whereby uh, there's more laterality for the examiner. Um, so, it, well, what, yeah. what, what, would, what would be an example of some of uh, discretionary? The, non, the non-discretionary? Discretionary. Oh, discretionary? Uh-huh. Oh, the discretionary would be, uh, there's nine of them. There would be uh, loss of limb you know, limb impairment, anyone cardiovascular disease, respiratory disease, hypertension, you know, all kinds of rheumatic, you know, uh, orthopedic problems, uh, drug use is in there, as well as uh, alcoholism and mental disorders, psych- you know, psychiatric disorders. Uh, there are guidelines to help the examiner come to a, a certification type of uh, determination, but there you have a discretionary. Uh, abilities in that in, in those standards. Okay, well, there, there, well, there could be some ways to get around that for drivers, though. I mean, like, how would uh, I mean, how would you know if a driver was suffering from like uh, manic depression or something like that? Well, you know, when they fill out the the intake when they come in and they fill out their intake in the commercial you know, uh, driver fitness determination, the long form that they call it. Uh, they, they, you know, they're supposed to check off yes or no as to what kind of medical conditions that they have and, and sign and attest to the fact that, that, you know, whatever they wrote and they're telling us is true. So we have to base it on what the patient is saying. That's number one. Um, if they're hiding something, um, if they say, you know, I don't, I'm not taking blood pressure medication, I don't have hypertension, you know, some of this will come out in the physical exam. You know, you'll find out that their blood pressure is high. Or if, they, or if they, if we find glucose or sugar in the urine, because we have to do a dipstick to test the urine, then we'll be like, well, you know, there's sugar in your urine. What's going on? Uh, I, I, have you ever been told you had diabetes? Uh, things of that nature. So certain things can come out in the physical as well. I mean, you may have them remove their shirt, and then suddenly, you, suddenly you see a big scar across the chest. Well, wh- what was that surgery from? Oh, oh, you had a heart bypass. So certain things will come out in the exam, but you know. The the driver is really you know confirming and 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 almost swearing and attesting to the fact that everything he's telling you is true, uh, and, and things will come out. Um, and and the bottom line is, is if anything that they say if they should lie on the form, God forbid, uh, and you find something out later, I mean they it is possible that the exam may not be valid based on that. If they didn't tell you something. I see. So so a lot of it is based on just the honor system. But now, is there any way of, uh, is there any way for a driver to um, to hide like diabetes? I mean, there there would be no way to do such a thing like that, would there? Well, we do a urine dipstick test, which is a screening test, and that looks for glucose, uh, blood, protein, and it measures the concentration of the urine. If it's slightly positive, you have to look into it further. Uh, they can't hide that, you know. I mean, if it's if it's there, there's urine there. They're spilling urine. I'm sorry, they're spilling sugar in their urine. Um, you know, it has to be addressed. So that, that's when, you know, when I gave you the analogy of the red light, the yellow light, and, and, you know, and the green light. 
Well, well yeah, with, in this case, that would be a yellow light, so to speak, meaning we, you, know, you have to look into this. I have to send you back to your regular doctor, and he has to work it up. And if you have diabetes or not, we need to know so that we can continue with this exam. So this exam would be pending further, you know, uh, pending uh, until further investigation is done as to what's causing the sugar to be in the urine, for example. And, uh, well, and, and okay. it, that's not uncommon. A lot of drivers won't know. It's not that they're lying. Sometimes a lot of people don't go see a doctor. They don't know if they have diabetes or hypertension, and those are very common out there right now. What about people who um, have uh, diabetes or high blood pressure and that let's say they're, they're on um, insulin pills uh, or high blood pressure medicine, mm-hmm. and they don't want to reveal that? So when they go there for the um, exam, there's no sugar in their urine because it's controlled, and the pressure's fine because that's also controlled with medication. I mean, is there a way to detect that they are on insulin and, and, you know, you just can't pick up on it? Well, you know, they'd have to be on very, very (laughs) tight control. Even when they are, there's still going to be some, you know, some kind of findings in the urine. And as far as the blood pressure, um, most of the patients that you see that have hypertension, they're on medications, their blood pressure will be elevated somewhat. Uh, The cutoff is 140 over 90. Uh, But the point there is that they shouldn't hide that. They should tell tell you because that's not disqualifying at all. If they're on pills for insulin or they take medication for their blood pressure and everything else is okay with them on the exam, they'll be certified. They may get a shorter interval, such as a year, but they will certainly get certified if there's nothing else going on. So there's no reason to lie about that. Right, right. Or hide it, I should say. Well, the reason I kind of brought that up, because that was some of the things that we received in our questions. You know, we have um, one guy who wrote that um, he, he he's, I guess he knows CDL drivers uh, that have uncontrolled type 2 diabetes, and they're driving because they don't go to the doctor, uh, they won't go on insulin, and somehow they... Uh, they uh, kind of cheat their way through the uh, medical exam. But my first thought was, uh, well, how would, how would that even be possible? It would have to show up somewhere. Yeah, it would have to show up um, in the urine. It would have to show up when you do the exam somehow. And, um, you know, it's a little bit unfortunate that, that this would happen because it's, it's not just public safety, it's also their health. And I, I don't think they should be afraid of talking to their, do- to their doctor to get the diabetes taken care of. And uh, I think the biggest scare that they have is because they know if they go on insulin, uh, and this is why we're here, that they're going to be automatically disqualified and there's no way out of it, which is not entirely true. As, as we're getting to, there is an exemption program that may allow some people to become certified. Uh, but that aside, um, if, even if they're not on insulin, if they don't take their pills, their blood pressure is out of control, and uh, they're very unpredictable, and they have huge variations in their blood sugar, and they're not safe to drive, there could be a reason to be disqualified or, until they correct that. You know, it's not a it's not a disqualification based on the standards or, or you know or a non discretionary standard, but it's a disqualification based on, you know, the examiner is saying that this person may be a safety risk, and 
the advice would be, well, you need to see your doctor. Even if you're just taking pills, get your blood sugar under control, get your hypertension under control, and then come back to me, and then we'll go from there. So uh, any any medical condition that can cause sudden, you know, risk of loss of consciousness, uh, that can in, in, incapacitate the driver uh, and poses a safety risk is a you know, potential disqualification, whether or not it's in the standard or not. So, um, right. so if you're not taking insulin and you're just taking pills, you have to t- you have to take care of your diabetes. You know, if I have someone here with a with a blood pressure of 180 over 110, more than 180 over 110, that's automatically disqualifying because that's just too high. And there's so many risks involved in terms of possible strokes, et cetera. And, but this person would not be disqualified for life. It'll be, well, go to your doctor immediately, in this case, get your blood pressure under control, and then once it, it is, let's say in a few months, you come back for another examination. And if it falls within the ranges that's allowable, he'll probably get like if you know, a six months at a time in this case since the blood pressure is so high and then you go from there. So uh any 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 condition can be a problem if it's not taken care of. Right, okay. All right, well listen, I gotta gotta take a uh, just a quick break and when we come back let's dive into this diabetes medical waiver some more and clarify further about truck drivers and diabetes and more specifically, insulin-controlled diabetes. And also, I want to ask you and talk to you just briefly about this BMI and neck size thing that we keep hearing about. So um, we're talking with Dr. Randolph Rosarian of DOTMedicalExaminer.com. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Alan Smith here with The Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment, and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. There is no big balloon payment at the end, and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. And be sure to tell them that you heard about them on Truth About Trucking Live. Okay, welcome back. If you'd like to be a part of the show, our call-in number is 347-826-9170. So far, uh, you must be doing a good job, Doctor, because we've just got everybody listening and uh, and taking down notes here. I, I see one thing in the uh, in the chat. You had mentioned, you know, that a driver could be quali- disqualified with a blood pressure, and uh, one of our uh, listeners in the chat, KRBN News Talk, they're right here on Blog Talk Radio as well, uh, they made the comment, well, if you're disqualified, you're out of work, and if that's your only skill, well, now what? But really, as a doctor, the DOT medical examiner, I mean, it, it's kind of harsh to say, but you don't really look at that. I mean, that's just the, that's what you have to go by. Well, you know, 
the blood pressure uh, that he mentioned are, are guidelines. And maybe, yeah, just to give a little definition in terms of what the guidelines are, these, they're basically uh, based on expert review and they're considered best practice. Just like physicians are held to a standard of practice in the community, this is the standard of practice that, that we're being held uh, by the federal government that we're supposed to do. If we de deviate from these guidelines, meaning I say, okay, I'll pass this, this guy with blood pressure greater than 180 over 110, and he goes out trucking and he has a stroke and, you know, God forbid something, you know, happens and he gets an accident, then right. I would be held liable. Uh, exactly. And, uh, why did you not follow these guidelines that, that are studied, doctor, by expert panels and recommended for you to follow? So, so, so that's the idea. We don't want to put people out of work, you know. Uh, as I mentioned to you, the vast majority of people that come in for these exams, they pass because they're relatively young, they're healthy, they have no issues going on, and even when they're 100% healthy in terms of not having any problems, you know, meeting these standards, uh, the maximum they can get is two years. So it tells you something, you know, because trucking is so important uh, and so regulated, uh, they want frequent monitoring. And so a guy could be 100% healthy, the most he'll get is two years. So if there's a problem going on and it's controlled, like diabetes, on oral you know, hypoglycemics or pills or, or hypertension that's controlled, they'll get a year, which means they just require, you know, more frequent follow-up so that uh, their problem is under control and that they're, they're safe and the public is safe. That's all that means. Right. Well, let's talk, let's talk real quick. Um, Donna, we even received questions on this again, and we've covered this and we've covered it, and I don't know how much further to cover it, but, Doctor, we hear from these people that um, their BMI, their body mass index, their neck size is too large, and uh, they're not, Donna, what is, they're not being given the, the uh, medical exam, their card? Um, and no, well, that was, that's another question I was going to ask um, if if a, a person's weight. But what's going on now is even though the FMCSA has not um, put forth any kind of mandates, laws, or, or restrictions on BMI, um, the companies are actually using their own restrictions from, you know, the emails that we receive. We receive emails that say, um, we don't have, I can't be hired because I'm, I'm overweight and companies won't hire me. Or people who are already employed with a carrier, uh, if they have a certain BMI um, index or neck size, they're being forced into uh, sleep apnea testing, which is also not part of the M, uh, FMCSA uh, rules or regulations or restrictions. Uh, is that that's correct, right? Uh, that is correct. The FMCSA, basically, as of now, has recommendations and guidance, but there's nothing official out yet. Um, right. But uh, the companies are already. Uh, almost acting as though they are uh, in, enforced by the FMCSA. And a lot of the drivers don't really, you know, look up on the laws. So they probably assume it is law. So if a company tells them, okay, we're going to have to let you go because, uh, you know, you're, you're too overweight or you're going to have to go for sleep apnea testing because your BMI and, and neck size, uh, you know, meet the criteria for such, 
they just assume that it is uh, the FMCSA rules because they haven't looked it up themselves. So this is a problem that's going on and why there is confusion uh, within the industry because, you know, they, they don't realize that it isn't, you know, it isn't law. And, and I'm almost wondering if <laughs> something like that can't be contested if you let somebody go or, or try to force them into some kind of sleep apnea testing uh, because of uh, BMI or, uh, you know, their neck size. Uh, since it isn't law, I, I would think that would be the case, but I'm not a lawyer, and they, you know, have to pursue that themselves. Well, you know, one caveat uh, in, in, in this is that um, even when there is not a standard uh, established yet by the FMCSA, uh, the examiner or the motor carrier can use standards that are more stringent, or they can use regulations or uh, that are more stringent than than what's out there. Meaning, uh, let's take the the blood pressure for example. If I feel that anyone with a blood pressure higher than not one eighty over one ten, but let's say one sixty over one hundred, should be disqualified. You know, there's some laterality there. Uh, so maybe that's what some of these companies are doing. They're saying, well, you know, we we can we have to meet the F- FMCSA standards. Uh, but we, we can also exceed their standards and not, you know, be viol- in violation of anything. But whether or not there's repercussions from a legal standpoint, I, I'm not a lawyer either, but I can see someone contesting that. Right. Well, I mean, really, I guess, I mean, it, it, it all boils down to, I mean, it's, it's, it's their company. They can, you know, do whatever they want, but the, the point here is, if I walk into your office, doctor, in Elmhurst, New York, and you look at me and say, boy, you have a big neck size, uh, you, you're disqualified, that doesn't happen from the doctor's viewpoint. Is that no, right? No, absolutely not. That does not happen. And I did see one of the emails about, about Hulk Hogan. Uh, you know, uh, it's not just a matter of the neck size. Uh, it's a matter of whether there's a high degree of suspicion that this person may have sleep apnea, that you want to send them to the, for those screening tests. Uh, screening tests. The next size, along with the BMI, along with other symptoms that they have, like excessive daytime sleepiness, loud snoring, or if, if their wife, their spouse witnesses them to not be breathing during the night, are all screening things, recommendations that, that would lead a doctor to say, well, you know, or if the patient is sleeping in the office and snoring loudly, which can happen. Those are things that you may say, well, I need to do some further testing on this individual. You would not disqualify them. Or, you know, say, you know, right away, you want to do some testing just to establish whether or not there is sleep apnea uh, or not. Um, the, 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 the thing is that, you know, I, I don't know, I, I guess a lot of you are familiar with sleep apnea, but one thing to, to keep in mind is that sleep is a, not that it's a dangerous state, but it is a somewhat compromising state for all of us in the sense that, when you're asleep, your nerves are not sending enough signals to, to, your, to anywhere. You're relaxed. You're sleeping. Your throat relaxes. Your, your tongue folds back. The airway narrows. And especially when you're in REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep, you know, this happens, you know, um, there's a significant uh, occurrence of that. And, and that can cause, you know, even someone who's not, who doesn't have sleep apnea have, you know, 
you know, heavy breathing or irregular breathing. Uh, the problem is that if they have a thick neck size, they have a thick, uh, the back of their throat is thick, or they have a, a, a snubby type of uh, uh, chin or recessed chin, and the tongue falls further back, they can accentuate that. And these people can actually stop breathing. And the definition is you have to stop breathing for at least 10 seconds. And that happens. Uh, the person's oxygen level will go down, and meaning the, the blood, the, the lungs not, you know, exchanging the oxygen enough, and they desaturate, as we call it. And if that happens 30, 40 times at night, there's some uh, medical consequences to that, namely hypertension, diabetes, coronary artery disease, not to mention that they'll be fatigued the next day and, you know, they may not be able to drive that, that distance that they can. So, so uh, you know, sleep apnea is, is, is a serious thing. If, you know, Hulk Hogan would not be disqualified, you know, instantaneously just because he has a big neck. But if there was reason to suspect that he has sleep apnea, I would have to investigate it further. Well, yeah, but those are the things you're trained to look for and see. I mean, uh, as far as I'm concerned, Hulk Hogan walks into my office. He can have whatever he wants. But yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, let, let's take a call real quick. He's been hanging on the line here a little bit. Uh, caller from uh, from New York, area code eight four five. Go ahead. You're on the show. Hey, how you doing? I, I'm, I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. Yeah, question for you: If you do have sleep apnea, would would that disqualify you, even if you had one of the breathing machines? Um. To know whether or not you have sleep apnea, we'd have to do the testing. Uh, the, the, what I mentioned with the screening methods, and those are clinical signs and symptoms that would lead a doctor to suspect it's strong enough to recommend that you get the testing. And to, to diagnose that, you'd have to have an overnight sleep test. And yeah, but, but, if, but if, you, if you do have, I mean, if you've had the test and you know you have sleep apnea and right. you have to use that, you know, you have to use that thing to sleep with, uh, does that mean you're automatically disqualified, or you can you can still drive? You can still have your CDL. Is that right? Well, you know, as Donna mentioned, there there is no uh, MCSA standard as of yet. There are guidances, and what the if you look in the FMCSA handbook, what it does say is that uh, you know you have there's a waiting period if someone has sleep apnea or, or a sleep disorder of, of a certain ideology that can. You know, po that can potentially be unsafe. Uh, that uh, they have to be treated, and if it's non-surgical, uh, they usually have to have a, a month waiting period. Uh, and, and again, these are not rules. This, 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 it doesn't mean you, you have to, because they're not standards yet. And if they've had surgery to correct the sleep apnea, there's a three-month waiting period. Those are the recommendations right now. So, so. The right thing for the doctor to do is not to turn you know, his head away and, and disregard the fact that someone can have a potentially dangerous medical condition, uh, but he should investigate it further. He shouldn't disqualify the person, and he should follow whatever recommendations that are there right now in order to make the best decision and, and, and help the patient as well. Or the driver, I should say, since the, you know, he's not really the patient or the, doc, or the examiner. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. No problem. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate your calling. Um, okay. Well, um, Well, can I ask a question about that? Because it kind of left me wondering. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Can you? 
um, I'd like to know if the person comes in and, and actually tells you, I have sleep apnea and I'm using a CPAP machine, and um, will you will you give them their DOT medical card? Well, I'd have to be sure that they're compliant with the CPAP machine, and that's not easy to do either. Uh, they basically have to use the CPAP 46 hours, four to six hours each night on most nights. So um, it, it's possible that uh, further you know, sleep studies may have to be repeated to see if the person really has improved. Um, so it, it, it's not an easy subject. It's, uh, right now sleep apnea is very controversial, uh, obviously, uh, but you wouldn't just get a, a card just like that based on what he says. I mean, I mean, the questions we have right now in the medical examination form has one question regarding daytime sleepiness, et cetera, uh, and it, it's a very weak way of, of screening people because most people will answer no. Uh, between yes and no and everything else that's at stake, they'll say no. So it's a very poor screening method. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, I would probably make sure that he's compliant with the CPAP. Uh, I would uh, correlate with his uh, treating physician uh, to see what kind of follow-up he's had regarding the, the sleep apnea treatment, the CPAP, and uh, see if he had any other studies to, to see that he has really improved after using the CPAP, for example. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, look, this um, diabetes exemption program, 57 <laughs> screening guidelines. Uh, we got a lot of emails that it's just a long, drawn-out process. I guess when they uh, when they send it in, they have 180 days to uh, to respond. We have um, we have the FMCSA regulation. I believe it's 391.41, somewhere in there states that a person will be disqualified from driving a commercial motor vehicle if they if they have an established medical history or clinical diagnosis of diabetes currently requiring insulin for, for control. Over here we have the diabetes exemption program that states that a person will be allowed to operate a commercial motor vehicle if they are found to be uh, fit under medical conditions even with insulin controlled diabetes. So uh, Take it away, doctor. What does it all mean? Well, well, the, the key there is that, you know, if they have an exemption, they, they can drive with insulin-treated diabetes mellitus. Uh, that's the caveat there. Um, and maybe at this point, uh, just to mention what an exemption is, which to the listeners, it's basically a temporary regulatory relief from one or more of the FMCS uh, regulations, FMCSA regulations given to a person or class of persons uh, who intend to engage in an activity that would make them subject to the regulations. Generally, they're granted for a period of two years, and uh, it is uh, the driver's responsibility to renew them each time as well. So, yes, it does say that, uh, and it does say that as well uh, for the vision, but except if they have an exemption. Uh, if they don't meet, meet the vision standard, they can still drive if they were granted an exemption. Okay, with this diabetes, and I have to say I don't really know that much about diabetes, but I mean, does this relate to uh, type one and type two? Because Donna, didn't we? Didn't you were speaking with someone about yes. type one, type two, and all that? A uh, young fella who wants to be a driver, and he's had type one since he was ten. Uh, can he pretty much forget um, getting his CDL? Absolutely not. Um, 
the, it relates to insulin-treated diabetes mellitus uh, and even some type 2s uh, who initially maybe their pancreas is making enough insulin and over time it stops making enough insulin. Uh, these type 2s can go on insulin as well. Um, just to give you a little bit of uh, a breakdown of how many people with diabetes that are using insulin, uh, this is from the is it the insulin fact sheet uh, that was put out in 2007 by the American Diabetes Association, the Center for Disease, Disease Control, uh, and some other organization. But basically what they said in their findings in 2007 about 14% of diabetics are on insulin only, uh, 13% are on both insulin and, and pills, oral hypoglycemics. 57% are only on pills, and like 16% don't use insulin and are not on pills. No insulin and no pills. So, you know, the, the distinction type 1 and type 2 is... is uh, is a medical distinction based on when uh, this disease presents itself, like in that young man that you that you mentioned. Uh, in type two, usually it usually presents in older individuals later in life, and um, it's, it's highly associated with obesity, um, poor uh, yeah, lifestyle habits such as uh, not enough exercise, uh, and there are also some genetic environmental issues as well, but. Type 2 uh, is the one it used to be called, maybe that's where the confusion is, non-insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus. But the fact is, as I mentioned, over time a lot of these people end up needing insulin. So they've gotten rid of that terminology more or less. Uh, but 90 to 95% of individuals with diabetes have the type 2 uh, diabetes, and only 5 to 10% of them have type 1 uh, the young man you mentioned, he had it so early because the type 1 is based mostly, uh, the cause is mostly due to autoimmune uh, issues uh, where there's antibodies made to the certain cells in the pancreas uh, and that causes that to happen so early. Uh, but uh, in his case, uh, uh, as in regards to the diabetes exemption program, uh, he would have to meet well, first I have to know whether or not he's been on medication. Obviously, he's been on insulin, I imagine, right, since he was diagnosed yes. so long ago. Uh, there would be a waiting period for him, and I think Alan mentioned it as well in his um, uh, in your website. Uh, if someone is, uh, uh, has been on medications prior to that, and uh and he's and and he's going he, well he's on insulin already there's at least a one month waiting period for him uh generally what what it says is that if someone is new on insulin uh but he's been on medic other medications besides insulin he must wait a month that's before he can drive now if someone is newly diagnosed and uh had no prior treatment uh for his diabetes and he's going on insulin there's a, and then there's a two month wait period so uh, he, you know, the young man you mentioned would have to show that he's, uh, his diabetes is under control. Uh, you know, the examination would involve doing a whole five-year history minimum on him to see how his diabetes has been controlled over the five years. There's so many documentation uh, that we'd have to do in terms of to see if he can self-monitor his glucose and has he had any severe hypoglycemic episodes, which is very important. And, and severe 
as per FMCSA, is defined as someone who has such a bad hypoglycemic episode that they have seizures, they lose consciousness, or they need the assistance of another person because their cognition is impaired. So all these things that we'd ha- I'd have to go over, and uh, and in the process, uh, after, you know, the first step for him to, to get an exemption would be to see the medical examiner, which would be someone like me. After he's done and I find that he has no other medical issues other than the diabetes that he, that he would otherwise be qualified, he still has to see a couple of more experts, uh, meaning an endocrinologist and an ophthalmologist, and then he would have to submit all that to the FMCSA eventually, and they will make the determination. So, no, it's not a dead-end street for him, but he would have to go through the exemption program uh, to see if he qualified. Boy, a lot to it. (laughs) Yes, there's a lot to it. Let me jump over here real quick. I have... um, uh, Eddie in the uh, chat room, he's saying it's still not clear to him. Is is the sleep apnea, getting back on sleep apnea here real quick, is uh-huh. the sleep apnea condition in itself a disqualifying condition? It's, uh, it's a condition, uh, let's put it this way, any medical condition that can cause sudden incapacity in a driver is potentially disqualifying. Uh, and if someone has sleep apnea and, and, and there's enough suspicion, enough concern, they will, they, they, they can, uh, you know, lose attention or, 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 or sleep on the road or that can cause an accident or, or that, you know, it's associated with, uh, cardiovascular issues. Then, just like the diabetes that we just talked about, uh, there would be a waiting period. You know, this person would undergo testing to see if he really has sleep apnea and how bad it is, and then he would have to undergo treatment if he did have sleep apnea. And based on his improvement, he could get reexamined and then qualify. So, so it's more like a, uh, you, don't put a, you don't stop, it's just, you're just slowing down a bit to make sure everything is okay before you can keep going. Kind of like right, the, so the yellow light. Right, but, right. So, but I guess some people say, well, it's not really a yellow light, it's a stoplight because I can't work for two months or three months, and it's true, uh, but that's the process they would have to go to. Yeah, that's the guidelines you all have to follow, and and um, so I guess, I mean, it can't be a disqualifying event, event. it just really, it just, basically you're saying it just, it just uh, is going to uh, boil down to uh, what the final results of the test come out to be then, right? Well, not just I that, mean, if it's, ser- if it's serious enough, of course it will be disqualifying. Well, he would have to get treatment. If he had serious sleep apnea, serious sleep apnea, uh, I would imagine he'd want to get treated for it. And mm-hmm. after the treatment, uh, he would have a minimum of one month, if it's non-surgical, one month waiting period after he's been treated with the CPAP to see if he's improved. Uh, it's not uh, the, that they can't drive for a year or what. If the driver is compliant, they, they know they have a problem, they get treated, and they, they, they use the CPAP, you know, 46 hours on most nights, and, and he comes back and he's improved, he, he can drive if he's safe enough. Right. Well, that brings up another question. What about the, the, the drivers who, you know, they have their medical card and they pass their DOT um exam and then they go to a company that says uh oh you've you've got a big neck size We're, we want you to go for 
sleep apnea testing. Well, one of the bad things about that is a lot of times they um, require the driver to pay for it, so a lot of drivers will just leave because they can't afford it. But uh, what happens if they have their medical card and there was no problem, but then the company flags them for a big neck size and then says, okay, um, you know, they, they do the test and they have sleep apnea. And it's mild sleep apnea, let's say, you know, versus the the, the dangerous one. <laughs> uh, well, what happens? Is their medical card uh, pulled from them because of that? Or, you know, is there any kind of guidelines for that? Well, if he if he if if his uh, job or wherever he goes to require him to get the 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 sleep apnea studies, and he already has a card that's not expired. Uh, I don't know who's going to pull it <laughs> Until he goes to see another doctor perhaps And let's say the doctor finds something similar And he's concerned about it And then that can happen But otherwise, you know, there's no way to, 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 to control that um, In fact, I mean, I've read, you know, stories uh, I've heard stories and I've read in, you know, in uh, journals about uh, you know, clinics who have just that happen to them, like uh, the driver. Maybe they're doing the right thing by you know following the regulations, and and if they really suspect somebody, they want to do a sleep test, etc. And to to you know to diagnose sleep apnea if they're very suspicious of it, and either the driver goes somewhere else or, or the company stops sending him drivers, and they send him somewhere else where the other doctor is not so stringent. So so it happens both ways. There's no way to really control that right now. Um, perhaps when the National Registry comes along, there'll be more, um, I guess, uh, surveillance or overview of this uh, because uh, part of the requirements with that would be that every examiner would have to submit their exams uh, each month uh, to Washington. And so and there'll be a central database that knows who the examiners are, because they'll be assigned you know, license numbers, and who the drivers are, of course. And if they had an exam with Dr. X, it's going to get very hard for them to go to Dr. Y or Z to, to, you know, to get a card when they were disqualified before. So uh, there, there, there are leaks right now, but uh, nothing is going to be 100% uh, uh, sealed, but you know, it, it, it would be an improvement when, when that happens. When we come out with the NRCME. Okay. All right. Well, <clears throat> we have a. I have a bunch of questions bouncing around here. And uh, earlier, you 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 even said something about hypertension. And and in fact, I have a question about that. If um, William William wants to know, he had a single lung transplant for pulmonary hypertension 18 years ago. He's on limited amount of meds. Says it doesn't affect him or his driving. Um, would he be able to pass the DOT medical exam? He'd probably have to get a take a pulmonary function test to look at his uh, lung capacity uh, and to make sure that the, he he's capable uh, of uh, the stringent requirements of, uh, of driving. That would be one example where another form of test would probably be done uh, to look into it. It does not mean he would not be disqualified right away, but he would undergo probably. Uh, for the testing for that. So okay, so there's 
no way he know he'll know unless he goes and just has the exam, right? He needs to come in for an exam, and uh, let's it. say I hear half of, half of the uh, lung is, is not, you know, the breath sounds are not there, and he can't really blow out a uh, blow air that well. That would be an instance where I say, well, you would need a, a pulmonary function test. We need to see what's going on with the lungs. But supposing he can on the screening, would he still have to go for the pulmonary function test? If he can, what? Uh, you said if you noticed he couldn't, you know, blow out air or if you heard, you know, something that didn't sound just right, um, that sounded to me like you kind of do a screen uh, first. But if he if he passes that right in the DOT exam, uh, would he still have to follow up with the uh, pulmonary test? Well, it, it, it's based on clinical judgment, and, and this kind of thing would fall into one of those uh, non-discretionary, I'm sorry, uh, discretionary standards, meaning it's uh -huh. up to the examiner. Uh, you know, depending on what you felt, you, you heard, or you've seen in the exam and how worried you were to pursue something further. Um, so that's an example where it would be on a case-by-case -case basis based on the person, and the examiner has some leeway with that. Okay. Okay, yeah, and I think one, uh, another question bouncing around, I think they kind of came in the late, the show late, but because you already covered this, I mean, as far as writing this information down, you know, when they're filling out, you know, that list in the doctor's office, um, want to know if you have to write it down, if you have sleep apnea or whatever, and you've already covered that because that's really based on the honor system. They don't have to write it down, but, I mean, it's a good thing that they should because uh, as a, uh, professional as you are, you're, you're probably going to catch it anyway. Yeah, and that's true. I, I can't tell you how many people uh, say they're not on any medications, they don't have any medical issues, I take their blood pressure, it's 150 over 100, or, you know, I hear a murmur in the heart, or, you know, the urine comes back positive, and that's when I've had many confessions. You know, oh, I didn't really want to see. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, that's all right, but, you know, uh, you need to tell me because I'm not here. I'm not the a henchman, you know. <laughs> the job of the examiner is really to keep the driver driving as safely as possible. We're not the henchmen here, and um, and, and really, uh, and, and I have to say also, a lot of times, really, the driver didn't know because a lot of people don't go to the doctor. They don't know they have high blood pressure. They don't know that they're spilling sugar in their urine. So and, and and some of them are quite grateful. They say, "Oh, great! And, you know, I'll go see my primary care, or I'll find one and get this taken care of." You know. Right. Well, let me ask you. Out of all, uh, you said you do 700 or over 700 DOT medical exams a year. Is uh, have you ever had a trucking company request X-rays as part of the uh, DOT physical? I've never had that, and. Why would they? That was, that was one of our questions. They uh -huh. wanted to know, is it legal for companies to do that? Well, you and I aren't an attorney, so they'd have to ask an attorney. But I was just curious if you've ever had that requested. <laughs> I guess I guess they could request it. Well, you know, what would they do with it? First of all, um, technically, I'm just wondering if maybe maybe the you know maybe the guy. You know, maybe the driver says, yeah, I hurt my back, you know, 10 years uh -huh. ago. Well, maybe they want an X-ray of the back. Well, you know, then they should send him to the company doc, uh, doctor or their, whatever clinic they use for their workman's comp type of exam. And have oh, them okay. Do it. Really shouldn't go to the medical examiner. In okay. fact, the long form that the driver fills out, 
I don't release it to to the company unless the driver signs a release form because technically there's protection there for them under HIPAA. So right. uh, I, I don't give out the medical certificate the company can get, but the long form, unless the driver signs a release form, I don't release it to anybody. Good. Yeah, that that was a big deal. I know there were some companies that were trying to uh, get those long forms, and uh, I guess uh, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we have one, uh, and uh, we're getting short here on time. But we had I, you said something about you know you just spoke about uh, you know they should send them to the company doctor, and uh, that's funny you say that because one of the questions we received was uh, a driver who um, uh, let's see what does he have here? Uh, his glu- glucose numbers are the best they've been in years. I guess he's had problems with it. Um, and I mean, he's you know, oh, diabetes, and he's under a doctor's care, seeing a dietitian, a nutritionist, and exercising, and and his glucose numbers are the best they've been in years. But he's still having problems with the company doctor uh, to um, to update his CDL. But again, uh, Doctor Rosarian, that that goes back to one of the discretionary standards that you spoke about, right? Uh, he's spilling glucose. Uh, is he diagnosed with diabetes? Uh, he has diabetes, and okay. he's under doctor's care, but his glucose numbers, they they write, are the best they've ever been in years, but he uh, still has to struggle every time he sees a company doctor. Is he on insulin, or is he on oral hypoglyce- uh, pills, oral hypoglycemics? Uh, it doesn't say. Well, you know, that would be important say. to know. Um you know, because we know if, if you know if if they're on insulin, they're falling on a different category. He would need an exemption to actually be able to get a DOT card. Uh, um, if he's not on insulin and his and his uh, and, and as you say, his blood glucose are very well controlled. Uh, what kind of problems is, is the doctor giving him? I mean, if if they're well controlled, he's not on insulin. Uh, he should be certified. And okay. the, the thing is, he he probably any medical condition would not give you the two year interval. He would he should if he has no other medical issues, his blood glucose is well controlled. He's not on insulin. He should get a year certification. Okay, yeah, they don't go in that much detail. That's kind of all they say. But my first thought was, well, well, that has to that would probably have to be you know something to do with the discretionary standard that you spoke of. Well, I mean, we don't we don't know all the details, so it's kind of right. hard to answer. Right. With what, <laughs> what is the limit? Uh, go ahead. What is the limit? Um, if you do a DOT, what is the limit of the sugar? I'm I'm assuming you do a, a fasting sugar. We don't do that, and uh, we're not required to that. You can, if the, but what, basically we look for we do a urine dipstick dipstick test, and if there's glucose in there and it's positive, then um, you know. It's noted. Then you ask the driver, are you taking medicine for it? And they're taking medicine for it, uh, and th- there's no reason for you to suspect that, that they're out of control. I usually ask them what their f- uh, finger stick was, and usually they remember or they tell you, and then it's fine. But if you, for any reason, suspect that that they have a wide fluctuations in their glucose, that it's one day's you know, 400, the next day is 200, then that would put a... a you know, pen that exam, so to speak, and, and contact, have him contact his, you know, you know, personal care physician and get some more information from that doctor before I finalize the certification. 
Well, what, at what point, um, at what blood level does it start to uh, spill into the urine, like 150, 140, 130? That varies even uh, even with very well controlled uh, diabetics it can still have spillage of the of the glucose uh, the best thing for them to do is yeah, the best thing to do to get a an average of how well that they're doing they need to get a blood test called a hemoglobin a1c that tells you what the glucose has been in the last two to three months that way their doctor can know how they're doing what their the average number is and they're, if they're below 6.5, and that means that's good, that they're well-controlled, even if there's whatever, some glucose in the urine, that's fine. It's not the best. It's a screening test. It's not the best criteria to use uh, to see how well-controlled they are. Okay. And uh, okay, one, and I... one thing about uh, the company doctor, to go back to that, uh, if they ask me to do an X-ray, one problem with doing that is that technically there is no – you know, patient-doctor type of relationship between the examiner and, and the driver. You're, you're certifying them for medical fitness to perform their uh, their duties. Uh, so you, you're not really there to take care of all their problems. You know, they should be referred out anyway. Right. Right, okay. And as far as uh, disclosing this medical information that you do to the employer, and this is one of the things we had in the chat, and you covered this, I think. Um, you have to have the driver's written permission. I mean, I remember I always signed something when I had my DOT exam before you can disclose what you found to the employer, correct? Correct. Okay, and Donna, what was that thing you you were talking to uh, about earlier, something about, um, something about type 2 diabetes going to change or something? What was that? <clears throat> oh, there, there's... Um some rumor going, go I don't know, it's not rumor, I mean, it's just talk that um, some of the uh, laws are going to change about type 2 diabetes. They're going to be more lenient. Have you heard anything about that? You mean diabetics who are just taking pills? Um, actually, you know, I, I'm not really sure. Right. If it, right. I, it just said insulin. Okay. It, well, if it's insulin, then... Uh, you know, insulin is a whole different ballgame, as we said. If if they're just type 2 and they're just on pills, um, by being more lenient, uh, I can't imagine what that would be. As I said, the maximum that someone who's 100% healthy will get in terms of the, the length of the certification is two years. You have, if you have a medical issue and it's controlled, you get a year just so you can be monitored better. So by being more lenient, uh, do they mean that they're going to change the, the – the amount of blood sugar, uh, the blood glucose that they have, it's already pretty pretty wide range, to tell you the truth. I mean, the acceptable range is from 100 to 400. Uh, um, so uh, the idea is that the main concern with di diabetes, and, and I just want to stress that, is, is the risk for hypoglycemia or your blood sugar falling too low and you losing consciousness. So... Um, I'm not sure what they mean by more lenient. Um, yeah, I'll have to investigate that a yeah, little more. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're not going to give you a year and a half, you know, a half a year more. It wouldn't, you know, it doesn't make any sense, you know. Um, uh, so yeah, that would be good to look into because I'm not sure exactly what they mean. Okay, well, we're kind of winding down here, Doctor. Just in closing, I wanted you to. Um... Uh, just quickly, you had mentioned to me that, um, you know, all these guidelines with the diabetes exemption program and it's 57 screening and all this stuff is 
places a lot of responsibility on the driver who wants to drive with a serious condition. But, but, but you made it a point to to tell me that it should not be perceived as a burden to the driver. And I was just going to kind of let you close with that because you you see you see this all in the name of safety, and 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 that's a good thing. Right. Well, you know, uh, the, the, and I go back to the hypoglycemia. The, one of the highest risks for you know crashing and let's say with diabetes is is uh, if if the driver is unaware of what their blood sugar is at any point. So, um, and they've done studies to show that. So. The, the the thing that stress is that the driver should have should demonstrate that he's educated about his condition that he can perform self blood glucose monitoring responsibly and he knows when he needs to take a little bit of uh, carbohydrate because his blood sugar is falling and he knows when to stop driving when his blood sugar is too high so that he can be uh, self reliable uh, in ensuring public safety so. So, you know, ultimately, if you have a medical condition, you're the one that's responsible for it. And if you're in a profession where uh, public safety is at stake, and your responsibility goes that much higher. So that's why I say it's not a burden, but it's something that they need to do for themselves and for the public. Right. Well, I agree because, uh, I mean, we we do have that name professional in front of drivers, so... Uh, that's part of that's just part of the professionalism. So I totally agree. But um, okay, well, listen, uh, Dr. Rosarian, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. You've helped to clear up a lot of confusing things, and they, and you have a lot of links on your website too, as well, right? Yes, I do. Um, uh, I have a link to the Sandspoint Medical Rehab uh, website. Uh, my specialty is I'm a physiatrist, which is a, a doctor who specializes in physical medicine and re- rehabilitation. I treat a lot of people with disabilities and dysfunction, people that are hurt at work, neck problems, back problems. So I, I've dealt most of my career with disabled people, people who have lost function because of something that's, that's happened to them. And that's important with diabetes because one of the reasons that these laws were passed is diabetes was considered a dis- disability, and the ADA uh, made it a point that everyone should be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. So that's why I think it's, it's important to to have this exemption and to help anyone who's capable uh, uh, to demonstrate they can they can drive safely and responsibly with their condition to drive. Okay, and your and your website dotmedicalexaminer.com, correct? Yes, and that's the website uh, where I. Uh, I, well, I try to inform and uh, and educate the the people, the public about the the DOT, the FMCSA, and um, just how to get certification. We also do drug and alcohol testing there, which is part of the process for a lot of these drivers. Um, so that's DOTmedicalexaminer.com. Yes. Okay, a lot of great information. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. I really I really appreciate it. And I thank you again for reaching out, and this is a huge subject, and I hope one day we can discuss it again. And uh, it looks like sleep apnea got a big chunk out of it, but that's good, (laughs) because that's that's even more controversial than diabetes in a way. Oh, it is. Well, listen, we're going to have you back on because I know for a fact I did a lot of research trying to find the right person for this show. I kept coming back to you. I mean, you're the doctor that doctors call, so (laughs) we're definitely going to get you back on here. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, well, thank you, Alan, and, and I appreciate it. And I hope to talk to you soon, too, as well. Okay. We thank w- you. We will. Thank Thanks you, a lot. All righty. Uh, all right. All right. He's, a, he's a great guy, isn't he, Donna? Yeah, he is. Fellow New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, boy, he's right in the heart of it, too. So, yeah. okay, listen, I know you have some uh, announcements. We want to touch base on uh, what's happened with this uh, Jason Law uh, call-in date. So we'll be right back to wrap things up for this broadcast of Truth About Trucking Live. We'll be right back. As an owner-operator, you understand the importance of saving every dollar wherever you can, and insurance is one of the biggest expenses a business owner can face. RigQuote.com works with over 50 of the top insurance carriers across the U.S. to bring you the best insurance coverage at the best price. If you're an owner-operator, small fleet owner, freight broker, freight forwarder, whatever your trucking business entails, RigQuote.com can save you money, and in today's economy, we all know how important that is. They also offer a wide selection of discounts that can even save you more of your hard-earned money. Discounts like having already been an owner-operator, business experience discount, a CDL discount, radius of operation discount, and they can even take care of your truck insurance filings. You can get a price quote in five minutes or less right from their website, rigquote.com, or give them a call toll-free at 888-701-1795, rigquote.com, making trucking insurance simplified. And be sure to tell them that Alan Smith sent you. Be sure to check out Dr. Rosarian's website at dotmedicalexaminer.com. He's got a lot of helpful links there to further assist you in your questions about the DOT medical exam. And be sure to bookmark us and add us to your favorites. And you can see our upcoming shows from our show page at blogtalkradio.com slash truthabouttrucking. And come join us at our blog, for goodness sake, at askthetrucker.com. And Donna, another uh, another Jason's Law call in, and you've got some announcements. Uh, you've got about ten minutes. Okay, I'll squeeze them in. Uh, first, I wanted to um, just tell everybody about the Trucker app over on the iPhone. That's the um, trucking application you can download right from your uh, iPhone, or go online to iTunes and download it. And we've been—it's uh, becoming a lot more popular of, of late. You know, everybody—we don't do a lot of advertising for it. It's kind of uh, word of mouth and through our website, but it seems to be doing very well. So give it a try if you do have an iPhone. It's called Trucker. Okay. Um, on October 23rd, we have the Memphis Trucking Expo, and uh, that's going to be the first year that uh, that they put on this expo. Uh, we're very excited. We were invited, or Alan was invited, um, to be a speaker there at one of the seminars. Uh, also uh, speaking will be David Saunders on compliance safety. And uh, let's see, uh, the dangers of sleep apnea, uh, Carl Malone. Uh, Trucker Desiree, she's going to be speaking about social media and women truckers. And let's see, Ron Mead, he's going to be uh, speaking about GPS navigation and uh, our very own Kendris Paris for uh, Truckers Against Trafficking is going to be speaking about uh, Truckers Against Trafficking and the human trafficking problem. So that's on October 23rd in Memphis, and we hope to see you there. Tim uh, Brady from www.timbrady.com is going to be the MC there, and he's done quite a few... uh, seminars himself.
himself, so he's going to have a break and, and uh, kind of introduce everybody uh, as they come in. Uh, we also um, had a great day yesterday. Uh, we had the third national call-in for Jason's Law. And uh, the, the call before on the, se- uh, the 15th of September uh, was really tremendous. I would have to say that that brought more awareness uh, than, than any other call uh, we've done. The support on Facebook, Twitter, the blog, and the viral um, communication uh, going on, truckers sharing the word about Jason's Law, has been uh, phenomenal, and uh, the the support we're just overwhelmed with. So yesterday we did have the third call in, and really when we called in, everybody uh, was totally aware uh, of what's going on because of the previous call in. And for example, uh, when we had spoken to Senator Inhofe's office of the Environmental and Public um, uh, Works Committee, which is on the Senate side, and he's the ranking uh, the ranking Republican over there, Senator. Uh, he had uh, was very very uh, supportive of this truck parking and wanted to bring it to the Senate floor. So he strongly urged everyone to call up uh, Senator Boxer's office, who is the chair of that same department, and that's what we did. <coughs> and uh, Senator uh, Schumer uh, was also encouraging that department uh, to act on this also. So we did finally get to speak. It was difficult to get to speak to anybody during the day. Uh, we understood later that um, there was a, a, a debate going on, so people weren't really available. So uh, finally, the uh, Senior Transportation Council, um, Kathy Diedrich, did call us. She also called Desiree, and they had a very lengthy conversation uh, about all this also. So um, they're going to be working with Senator Inhofe, which is wonderful, because that means the Republicans and the Democrats are going to be working together uh, on on this truck parking issue. So you're saying that Barbara Boxer's office is going to be working with Senator Inhofe? Yes, they're both in the Environment and uh, Public Works uh, Committee, uh, where where the bill is S971 is. So it's been dormant for for months, and now you know with all the people calling in, and the and it, it's it's coming alive. And it's very much aware, and, you know, everybody's speaking about the issues of truck driver fatigue. And uh, one of uh, uh, Congressman um, Oberstar's, uh, he's on the House side, okay? That's where it is in the Infrastructure, uh, Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, which we also spoke to them. That's where H.R. 2156 is. One of his big things is truck driver fatigue. So they informed us that they're very interested also on that. We also spoke to the Highways and Transit Subcommittee people on both the Republican and the Democrat side. So there's all kinds of support and positive uh, feedback going on right now. So yesterday, the 15th call was an awareness call and explaining, everybody explaining the seriousness of the correlation between truck driver fatigue, parking, safe parking, drivers being hurt, attacked because uh, there's no parking. And now that the awareness is there, now it looks like they really see the seriousness because everybody I spoke to and from what I hear from other people were very receptive uh, 
and saying, yes, we are going to get on board with this. So, you know, we're, we're really very optimistic that um, Jason's Law and the funds for truck parking, uh, we're actually hoping they're going to exceed the, the, um, the $20 million a year that was initially in um, H.R. 2156 that uh, uh, Congressman Paul Tonkel of New York submitted. So uh, it looks like everybody, um, from what they say, is on board. Now we're going to have to wait for the elections. And uh, I'm just going to tell everybody, you know, there's going to be most likely new people. There might even be new chairmen for all these committees. And if that's the case, they are going to pass all the awareness and the importance of this on. But we most likely are going to be having another call in in January just to get in touch with the uh, new people that are in Congress, but so far everybody uh, is on board with this, and uh, we're very, very optimistic. So. Well, you're just uh, you're just becoming a little politician. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, you, you can't help it. You know, you just, you know, I know, you know, you've been you've been talking so much about it, and then I have to go the next step and and really, you know, dive into it because you know me and. Um, you know, it's just a lot of good uh, good stuff going on right now with it. Um, I know how Rivenberg, uh, she's she was on the news. Uh, we we had that blog post about that. She's been on Fox and CBS News. Oh wow! Uh, yes, yeah, speaking about it, and uh, you know, we had those uh, links out on uh, on Facebook and. She had them out, and drivers were very upset, you know, those six uh, stops that were just closed in New York, and uh, there's some California ones, Georgia. So th- this, is, this is what's really drawing the attention now, because if there, there already was an extreme shortage of parking prior to all these problems, and now with the states trying to balance their budgets, they have uh, budget deficits, they're trying to save money. The state of New York is saying they can save a million dollars by closing these six truck stops, and uh, there was a big call in yesterday to the DOT in New York telling them that, that this is, you know, this is wrong. New York already has a problem, and uh, we're going to see what's going to be done about that. And also, there's $7 million left in safety, Lou, and uh, they were informed about that. I know Danielle was on the phone with them from uh, Drivers Alike. Hope Rivenberg was really, um, you know, hitting them hard and heavy. And uh, we're, we're trying to get New York to say, hey, you know, we need to leave these these rest areas open. Let's apply. If we're trying to save a million dollars, well, let's apply with the seven million in safety, Lou. Uh, you know, and, and get them to help us out. Uh, when I had spoken to Inhofe's office, and I said, well, you know, I, I read Safety Lou, and it doesn't say anything about uh, maintaining the rest stop. It just says, you know, about uh, creating uh, opening or something like that, but not maintaining. And a lot of these. States are closing up because they don't have the funds to to maintain them, and he said he would tell them to apply anyway. And I think the the deadline is October, so everybody who uh, is having difficulties with their uh, rest stop areas, if if you're in a state and you know your state is having difficulties, you need to uh, you know call the DOT there and say, hey, listen, why don't you apply for the safety loop funds? And let's keep these rest areas open because they have $7 million uh, remaining in safety loop for parking. Yeah. 
So, uh, you know, there's things they can do, and I think it's optimistic, but we have to, you know, keep people informed because I don't think a lot of these states even know about the funds and safety, Lou. Uh, well, there's a lot of steam building. I mean, it's uh, it's really gaining strength, and um, mm-hmm. a lot of that is through a lot of the phone calls. That's what everybody just needs to keep doing. So it's sounding good. Yep, sounds real good. I know um, I know Desiree had a, a great conversation uh, yesterday also with Barbara Boxer's office, and uh, you know it's it, it's just very uh, encouraging the when they hear the problem. Hey, one minute. Yep. It's it's just real encouraging. Okay, I'm I'm done. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, this isn't a ten-hour show here. So, okay. Well, good stuff. All right. I appreciate it. Listen, our next show is going to be Wednesday, October sixth at seven thirty p.m. Todd Dills, the senior editor for Truckers News and and uh, Overdrive Magazine, will be rejoining us. We're be, we're going to be talking about the PSP, the Pre-Employment Screening Program, and how it can actually be a leverage for drivers. Very important show. You want to tune in on that. Um, also, after that show, I am on vacation for rest of October, so catch us there on October 6th, 7.30 p.m. I appreciate everybody in the chat room, all the listeners online. Uh, thanks for being here, and we will see you then. So until then, for Truth About Trucking Live right here on Blog Talk Radio, I'm Alan Smith. Drive safe, and thanks for listening. Driving these rigs since 79 Never got a ticket, never crossed the line Dinner's on the table, but it's gonna get cold Gotta get going, I've got freight too low Well, I was running through Atlanta doing 58 A four-wheeler cut me off, so I slammed my brakes Well, the truck went left, but the trailer threw right And I saw my life flash before my eyes I'm just trying to make a living Running the road Loving my family from a cell phone Nobody understands Can't get no helping hand Lord have mercy on the The trucking brand Fighting the wheel And the next thing I know I hit the sidewall And over I go Falling so fast I had no time to scream Burning hot metal Flying all around me Well I laid there for a minute Living out of my head Not knowing if I was alive or dead The highway patrol said Let me give you a hand and he laughed and said, son, better check your pants I'm just trying to make a living Running the road Loving my family from a cell phone Nobody understands Can't get no helping hand Lord, have mercy on the, the trucking brand at me 
and my burning rig Check out the damage that was done to the bridge Feeling a little crazy and dizzy in the head Barely heard the words that officer said $10,000 fine and your CDL is gone Better call your mama to come take you home Three million miles and never a glitch The four-wheeler only got a slap on the wrist I'm trying to make a living running the road Loving my family from a cell phone Nobody understands, can't get no helping hand Lord have mercy on the, the trucking brand On the trucking brand Lord have mercy on the The trucking brand. 